This is the Startups A to Z podcast. I'm Hillary Hirsch. And I'm Mark Sholin. Hillary and I are here to share conversations all about the Arizona startup community. Learn more about the show by visiting www.startupsatoz.com. Check us out on Facebook by searching for Startups A to Z. We post pictures from each interview, along with links to new episodes and other local startup news. Make sure to get in touch with us by following us on Twitter at Startups A to Z and send us messages. Most importantly, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your podcast platform of choice. So, Hillary, uh, how are you today? Well, this is our, our fifth episode that we're recording. I am doing great. I, I am so excited to be here. I'm very excited about our guest for today. We'll introduce her in a moment. But, yes, uh, me too. It's yeah, certainly been a busy last few weeks as we've really made some efforts to launch the show and spread the word. And I think we have some good momentum going. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, we have a couple episodes under our belt, developing partnerships. I feel like we're on the right track. I hope so. I hope so, too. It's, uh, <laughs> Time will it's tell. It's been a labor of love so far. <laughs> but we, uh, no matter what, always enjoy speaking with our guests today. And we definitely have a, a quality one that uh, has taken the time to join, join us. And so, um, Hillary, tell us a bit about our guest. So our guest for today is Marianne Guerra. She is the CEO of BioExcel. And BioExcel is a startup accelerator for biotech and biomedical companies. Marianne, welcome. Thanks for joining us here. Hey, great to be here. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we, um, as our audience knows, we always uh, select a topic in conjunction with our guests that we speak to for the duration of the show. Of course, there might be some uh, some tangents here and there, but our topic for today is raising a venture fund in Arizona, something that isn't done as often as people might hope for in the state, but I think people like you are taking steps to change that. So definitely look forward to hearing about it. Uh, Marianne, what was the inspiration for picking this as our topic for today? Because I think it's so relevant um, to what needs to be done in Arizona. I love hearing about all the wonderful entrepreneurship that's going on here and all the innovation. Um, but it's, from my perspective, unless we have venture to follow on and help these entrepreneurs, then we're, you know, leading them, you know, down a pathway that is going to not end where they want it to end because we don't have that venture support. So this is really near and dear to my heart. Yeah, it's a notion of maybe spinning your wheels to to nowhere without being able to get some traction in terms of funding. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, the way that I think of it and, and experienced a bit myself firsthand with ARP Source. Um, so, Hillary, where where should we begin with Marion here? This is such a broad topic, but I think from your economic development background, you might see a lot of cities or legislators could support this type of stuff. So where, where do you come at uh, this topic from? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. Um, from the economic development standpoint, I see that, um, well, first, from what, what I hear from other entrepreneurs is that there really aren't any VC funds here. There are some, which I could briefly name, uh, but really for companies to get the type of capital that they need, they have to go out of state. Primarily, they always go to California. Um, Texas has has some heavy hitters and elsewhere, but we don't really have those here. So Marianne, just from your perspective, why do you think that we don't have 
those VC funds here? Is it just that we're still a newer community? I'm glad you asked that question because that's really the um, message that I have been harping on for the last six years uh, from the time I started BioXL. When you look at why would a venture fund want to be here, you say, well, we've got to have great pipeline. You know, we, we want to be here because we want to have be able to be like they say in California, uh, Sand Hill Road, walk out the door, and they're all around you, right? You don't want to have to go very far. So that means we have to have a really solid pipeline of companies so that when they come here and they set up shop, you know, there's a lot of uh, potential for them to invest in. Um, Arizona needs to do more of that, and that's why I started BioXL initially was because we wanted to get proof of concept and pre-seed money to get the companies teed up to be investable. And so Arizona is challenged with, you know, how do we get more companies teed up so that we can get a venture fund here? So I, I really believe that it's going to be hard to get a lot of venture funds to move here until we have a better, more robust pipeline for them to invest in. Well, if it's going to be a challenge to get any existing funds to move here, it seems to me that uh, the best way to remedy that would be to start from scratch, perhaps. And um, I, from what I understand, that's what you're trying to do as, a, as we speak. And we might have even pulled you away from some work you were doing at your desk to bring you to the podcast today for that. So um, at the risk of not delaying that process too much, um, tell us a bit about like the, the high-level mechanics that go into uh, trying to raise a fund from scratch. Like, you know, where does the money come from and, and how do you uh, manage it most appropriately? Well, you know the old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> so we kind of arrived at that conclusion too. I mean, I mean, the good news, just to put things in perspective, is the companies that are here and that are good get funded. You know, 96.5% of the investment comes from out of the state, but that means our companies are getting funded. So that's that's good news. Um, but we do have to, you know, get a fund going here. And so when we were looking at our companies, um, we were looking at, um, you know, a BioXL portfolio and we said, okay, who's going to fund the next level? We've invested, you know, we've got it started, we've put in the pre-seed money, um, but how do we get that fund going, you know, who's going to do it? So we talked to a bunch of different people, and nobody seemed to want to have another fund. I mean, we were lucky in the state. You had Jock Holloman, who had a fund um, a few years back, and Harry George, and he had a fund. And they said, you know, they, they didn't want to do another fund. And so um, who is going to be the next generation of that? So we finally just said, you know, well, maybe we should start our own small fund, um, you know, because it's a lot of work. So on the high-level piece of it, I mean, when you look at a fund, you have to say, you know, we're, who's going to fund us? Um, and then if you look at, you know, who's funding things in Arizona and you're seeing that the funding isn't really there, that doesn't make you want to jump into having a fund. Um, and we particularly wanted to have a fund that would invest in Arizona companies. So that's the other thing, too. I mean, you can start a fund, but then if that fund just invests in companies that are outside of Arizona, it doesn't really solve the economic development issue that, you know, Hillary brought up. So, you know, you really have to get a community that says, okay, we want a fund, and then we want a fund that's going to help here. So luckily right now, there's actually two things that I know of that's going on um, in this space. We have our Bio Accelerator Fund 1, we call it, 
optimism there. Uh, mm-hmm. That'll yes. be the first of uh, at least a few. Um, and this is um, just going to be a small fund. It's $2 million we're trying to raise, and it will only support BioXL portfolio companies. And the reason we started that way is we thought, well, if we've validated the pipeline and we've given them that, that good, solid company to invest in, they may be more likely to want to come into a fund and participate. So we thought, well, let's start small, let's get it going, get some folks involved in it, hopefully the fund will do well, and then we could do a second fund, and then perhaps that fund could be larger, and that fund could attract other companies to that. So um, so that was the, the logic of a $2 million fund, um, because it also matched the size of the BioXL portfolio. Where we get the people from are people that know BioXL, understand the companies that we're generating. And in this case, it's been interesting because they, they kind of look at it and say they want to do good and do well. They see what BioXL is trying to do as a nonprofit to help stimulate these startup companies. But they also say, hey, this might also be an opportunity to um, invest in something that could be profitable. And so they're doing you know, good by helping us help our companies, and hopefully they'll do well by um, the fund being successful. I'm wondering, what do you, what's your perception of um, the type of venture capital funding available for Arizona companies not in that space? I mean, I know obviously software gets a lot of the, the attention and the glory around here, and there are at least a couple funds that have been around that continue to fund those companies. So what are your thoughts on, I guess, um, you know, having these more industry-oriented VC funds versus more, uh, you know, more all-purpose money that's available? That's a, an interesting way to look at it. I think that when you look at investors, they have a sweet spot that they like. And so if you're going to get in a fund rather do, than doing direct investment, you're going to get in a fund that kind of matches what you like. And so I think that that might just be a natural outcome of, of individuals and how they invest. Um, that's part of it. I think the other part of it is that, you know, you got to look at what your pipeline is. And if the pipeline is software, and that's where the majority of uh, the technology is coming out, then that's more likely that you're going to have that kind of fund. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're lucky here. Tall Wave has, you know, gotten going, and they're looking at IT and, you know, software companies, and that's doing a good job. Um, and then uh, we've got You know, the angel groups, I think, step in and try to be a little bit more diversified when you look at the downstream funding because they'll fund angel, I mean, they'll fund software, hardware, medical devices. Whatever Um, they're comfortable with and whatever sorts of industries they come from. And on the note of angels, for people in our audience that might not understand the distinction, could you just describe what the difference is between angel funding and VC funding? I'll do my best. <laughs> um, a fund is a very organized um, approach to um, investing. You're basically looking at the management structure of the fund, and the fund has a very prescriptive uh, mission. You know, in our fund, it's going to fund BioXL early stage companies that fall into this category. Um, and so they put their money in, and then they leave it to the managers and the investment committee to make the decisions. They don't really get to decide. Um, and so they've got to trust others. Now, that's a good thing for people that don't know a lot about biotech because, you know, you, you have a trusted source, you invest, and you let them make the decisions, and hopefully you then just do the benefit. Angels, um, 
you know, and again, and then venture funds can be at all different levels. Most of the venture funds that you see are a little bit further along than our right. venture fund. So, in terms of dollar amounts, you're meaning, or in terms of the uh, stage of the companies at which they invest? Both. Yeah, I mean, some venture funds, you know, want to see a profit um, being made. You know, others, um, you know, there's very few that like the early stage where there's no profit and there's no profit in sight, right. you know, for a while. So, um, and that's one of the tough things about an early stage venture fund. Um, but the angels um, are the ones that um, collectively will look at something, but they'll individually decide whether they want to fund or not. So, you know, our company could go to an angel meeting and present, and if there's 50 people in the room, 10 of them might say, hey, I like that. Then they'll look at it, and then maybe three will fund it. So they have a a little bit more flexibility in deciding what they're going to fund, how much they're going to fund, when they're going to fund. And you need both. That's really interesting because, so when I was at the state, there were discussions about you know, especially this was maybe like four years ago, um, where the investment community, you know, it was still ATIF at the time. So Arizona Technology Investors Forum, and they were only investing in tech companies. And then we had other companies that were outside of that purview saying, well, I don't have any money. I don't have any means to get investment. But there's a lot of investors out there that don't invest in tech because they don't understand tech. So they invest in real estate. Real estate is is a legacy, you know, investment, you know, in Arizona. It sounds like VC might be a good avenue if they don't know how to invest in bio to kind of put their money into because they're basically leaving the expertise to the management team. Yeah, I mean, you would think that. I mean, and, and but but some will say just the opposite. They'll say, well, I don't have any control. And so that makes me nervous because I'm leaving it to somebody else. So, you know, successful people, a lot of the times they like to keep their fingers on things. Right. But, you know, um, and that's the challenge I think we face um, here in Arizona is getting that, um, you know, not not to put anybody down, but a, an, um, an educated investment ecosystem. And um, so we've got educated investors in the real estate space. I mean, they know what they're doing. They're familiar with it. They've got their uh, buddies and cronies, and they all go in together, and it works really well. And if you look at, like, um, California and you look at San Francisco and San Diego and Boston, they have the same thing um, where they know this space. And so, you know, if their friend calls another friend and says, hey, this is a cool biotech company, let's fund it, they all jump on the bandwagon. We don't have that yet here, and that's really, you know, what we're trying to do with um, our fund. Um, I've been doing a lot of talking. I think Arizona Community Foundation is looking at trying to set up a fund. I think that one might be a little bit broader from what I've heard. Um, we've got um, a group called uh, the Founders Fund that is looking at um, creating one. That would be a little bit more in the IT space again. Um, but that Founders Fund is based on a principle of um, if you've been a founder of a company before and you've been successful, you should invest back into the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other interesting thing about Arizona that we're, we're discovering and um, kind of communicating is that many of our successful uh, founders haven't done that in Arizona. They've made their money and then they've gone and invested elsewhere, not invested back and not invested collectively. And so that is one of the things that we really have to do well is track them down, round them up and say, hey, guys, gals, 
you know, how can we get you to want to participate in our ecosystem so that we could get the same thing going? And I know there's a lot of work from the community on trying to figure out how we get that done. I'm curious. Uh, I get how, um, of course, being able to source funding from uh, prior successful founders or just other high net worth individuals who are passionate about a certain industry or just startups in general, I can see how it it uh, isn't a huge stretch to attract them in and get buy-in from them to, to go in on um, investing a fund. Um, now, I understand that for larger VC funds with national scope, um, oftentimes the bulk of their funding comes from, uh, you know, it's, it's sourced from like retirement accounts and, and pension funds and all that that are managed by large agencies and whatnot. So what kind of, um, you know, buying are you trying to get from these maybe larger pools of money that uh, are maybe more return-oriented versus and maybe less risk averse as a result uh, versus yeah just going after the high net worth people around here so i think again you have to look at what your objectives are with the fund okay and so is the objective to just create a fund in arizona is the objective to create a fund that's going to fund our companies in arizona is the objective to create an early stage fund to help our entrepreneurs get to that next level and i think we don't have the answer to that yet. I mean, there uh, there's a group that the uh, Arizona biobusiness community put together, and they meet twice a year, and they're coming up with a report that talks about the need for uh, risk capital and that we need to get funds here and that the community needs to help. Um, you know, and so there's an acknowledgement that we have to have, you know, a Series A type of venture funds, you know. But there's also the problem of do we have that pipeline and so even if you create a fund, if you can do that, are you going to fund our companies or are you going to fund companies that are out of the state because our companies haven't had enough of that early stage funding to make them eligible for a Series A financing? And so I think that everybody kind of looks at little bits and pieces of this. And the one thing that I keep talking about, in fact, was even on the phone, um, you know, I'm on this council uh, for Secretary Pritzker. And I was on the phone with them this morning, and I said, you know, you got to look at the, you know, the whole capital continuum. You have to look at it and say, okay, who is funding at all of these different stages, and do we have the whole continuum covered? And Arizona has to do that. We have to look at this whole, you know, concept of commerce, you know, the continuum for capital, and where are we missing it? Yes, we're missing it on the, the venture side for sure, but we're also missing it at some other places along the way, too, that impact that endpoint. I got you. So if I understand, then that means that it's less about trying to raise a huge fund and more about raising a fund where uh, people are putting their money in, understand, and are on board with the concept of going after these early stage companies. You know, Mark, I think it's it's both. I mean, some people want to be in that that you know, the bigger funds. I mean, I'm not saying that we don't want to have a big fund here because it would be great to have a $50 million fund. It'd be great to have a fund where our pension funds were contributing to it. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, realistically, what are all the components that we have to look at and assess? And, and then when you look at those, is then a $50 million venture fund generally 
for anything of it is is that viable or is it okay now we've looked at all that and maybe maybe an IT a fifty million dollar venture fund or a hundred million dollar venture fund makes sense. Um, so yeah, we want to have big funds here and we want to have those funds that have um, you know <laughs> folks from the the VCs from California and Boston part of it and. I mean that's the you know that's the the goal you know that's the brass uh, ring there. Um, my logic is just, but you know, do you start there, or do we have to start somewhere else to help get to that endpoint? Yeah, and kind of like what you mentioned earlier, you said that the pipeline just isn't there either. So, and I think that's really interesting because from my perspective in economic development, I see a lot of startups, right? <clears throat> but they're in the very early stage where they're not even talking to angel investors yet. So I see a lot of activity, but you're right. I mean, the companies that I do talk to that get, you know, their Series A funding, it's exciting news, but they're still probably not at that stage to talk to VCs yet. So as we, you know, kind of like the pyramid where you have a lot on the bottom, but as they start to filter, you know, through and get their funding, it's less and less. So, I mean, that's just my, you know, uh, perspective. And it's just an interesting comment that you make about VC funds. And I I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that we don't have some nice pipeline. Because we do. I mean, I I think the companies that BioXL has are amazing. In fact, I don't think a lot of people realize the potential for some of these companies. And a lot of them get funding from outside the state, so clearly there's something there. Yeah, they all did. I mean, the ones that have gotten... Our financing from some of our best companies is coming out of Japan. It came out of China. It came out of Texas. It came out of San Francisco, you know, but it didn't come out of Phoenix. Right. <laughs> it didn't come out of Arizona except for what we put into it. And, um, you know, so those are the companies we're showing. And we're, we're, you know, for our little fund, we're saying, okay, these are great pipeline. This is a great fund to go in. And if Arizona, and I, and I said this, Nationally, so mm-hmm. this is just Arizona. If you really can put more money into making these companies more robust, um, then people will want to fund them. It, it's not that, and how do I say this that doesn't make me sound like a total idiot? Um, they are high risk, right? These are early stage companies are high risk. But if you if you look at some of the numbers, um, they get the same types of returns that some of the the bigger funds get, you just don't hear that. Um, you, what those early stage funds need is to make sure that those companies are the right companies. You know, so when you hear that these early startups bust, that they're not successful, well, why aren't they successful? Are they not successful because they didn't get any money and they just ran out of steam? Or were they not successful when they were funded? And a lot of these companies run out of steam, like you said, Hillary. I mean, they just, they're good but they just don't have enough money to last, and then they fall by the wayside. So earlier on, Marianne, you mentioned uh, how a couple people, Harry George and um, who was the other John one? John Coleman. Yeah, that's right, John Coleman. And you mentioned how they have raised funds in the past but weren't interested in doing it now. So can you give us a bit of history of um, your perspective of uh, venture funds that have been ex- have existed here in the past and why they either have or haven't continued to perpetuate themselves? Well, I, for those two, I mean, they've had multiple funds, successful funds. And, you know, I was talking to Harry the other night and he said, 
he's in his 60s, I, I can't remember if he's 67 or 68, and he said, it's just not the right time now for me to start a fund. It's a 10-year process, and that's not what I want to do right now. Jock is the same way. It's not that they don't believe in it. You know, they they just started it when they were younger. They did their funds, you know, and, and it can be a, a lengthy process. You know, you get the fund going, you, 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 you raise the capital, that takes you a while, then you have a while before you're deploying the funds across um, your portfolio companies, and then you wait because you have dry powder, see how they progress, and then you put more money into it. So a lot of those funds, you don't see your returns till five to ten years. So if you think, you know, it's a 10-year fund, so then now the second fund is another 10 years, so that's 20 years of somebody's career. So, you know, I mean, I, I hadn't even thought of that until, you know, Harry said that, and I thought, yeah. oh, a good point, Harry. You're, you're <laughs> yeah. yourself up for the long haul, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, um, again, they did their thing. They had hoped that a younger generation would come in and, you know, the next group would come in, and, you know, it hasn't happened yet, at least in the biospace. Tall Wave, Jeff Pruitt, what he's doing there, you know, I mean, he's – stepping right up and trying to get it done as well. Um, so, and, uh, you know, Romy, um, who's doing the, um, trying to get the uh, AZ Founders Fund going, is the same thing, um, Romy Dillon. And he's trying to get a fund going, and he's young, and he's got that energy too. So, I mean, we've got, you know, folks that want to do, yeah. to do that. Uh, but the reason the other ones aren't doing it is they've been there, done that, been successful, and are you know, ready to do something yeah, else. They'd much rather just be on the board of directors for exactly. the fund than, than be the, uh, the the managing director. So I guess that's your and job now. Yeah, and they're busy. I mean, they're out there. I mean, they're working with their funds. I mean, they're still engaged with those companies because those companies still, you know, especially some of them that are in the uh, biospace. I mean, it's, it's not just, you know, getting a Series A. It's a Series B or a Series D, you know, and beyond because it takes a lot of money to get some of those companies, you know, up and running a, a you know, a drug to the mm-hmm. point that it's actually in, you know, um, yeah, which the shelves I, on the shelves. I hand it to you because, um, you know, bio companies, they don't get a whole lot of investment, you know, in comparison to tech or IT because the ROI on those is a much shorter term. So I think that's great that you guys are contributing to our bio community by really focusing on those because it takes 10 years plus to maybe see your money back. See, if you, and one of the things that we've, been trying to educate on. So some of our companies, um, they're, they're medical device companies, and they're going to have to get regulatory approval on a 510K or even beyond that. Um, and you look at that, and somebody says, oh, you know, by the time that's in the market, you know, I don't want to wait for that investment, either individually or part of a fund. But a lot of those companies are going to be bought out way before they go to the market. You know, they're going to be bought out, <clears throat> like one of our companies, um, I am betting would be bought out before it ever gets um, their devices ever used in a clinical trial. They're going to do their preclinicals. It's going to look really good. And um, their three competitors were all bought out before they hit the clinical trial stage. People don't realize that, you know, and, and they were bought out for significant amounts of money. So part of our fund is looking at saying these companies may be bought early, you know, and then you're going to see your return within five years potentially not this long one and that's just part of the education that we need to do is and that's part of this myth that everything's high risk everything takes 15 years everything takes 50 billion dollars uh, before you see anything um, that's true in some instances but it's not true in all instances 
I love that. <laughs> Thanks, Marianne. You just taught me something new today. <laughs> can, Hillary can uh, invest in the, the bioaccelerator fund here. And, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And Someday. <laughs> yeah. My portion would be very small. <laughs> Every little bit helps. Well, that's why the crowdfunding is good. You know, I mean, people are using the crowdfunding, and that's kind of a nice positive for um, the startup companies where you could get out and folks that do want to invest but don't have you know, 50000 a 100000 or more to invest millions <laughs> in the big funds, you know, that can put a little skin in the game and feel good about it. Yes, crowd, crowdfunding will be its own episode one of these days yeah, for the good. podcast. Yeah. That's our plan. And, uh, yeah, a lot, to, a lot to explore on that topic, even apart from the, the VC funding. Um, Marianne, walk us through a bit of the mechanics of how you see the fund that you're putting together working. So, I mean, is it, you, you mentioned it's going to be for uh, companies already in the BioXL portfolio. Um, if that were to change in the future, I, you know, what would be the process that your team would go about trying to identify new investment opportunities and, and doing due diligence on those? What, uh, what's, what's that going to look like? That's a really good question because I think that's part of the education piece and that's part of the de-risking that if it's done routinely, rigorously, and consistently, um, it it makes that high-risk investment a little less high-risk. Um, and so part of BioXL's whole model is let's look at these companies early, um, the technologies, make sure they've gone through proof of concept, they've been validated, they're scalable, there's a commercial market, that it's a reasonable commercial market. Um, we now put them through lean launch to make sure they've actually talked to customers and somebody wants to buy it. Um, we look at the management team structure. We actually even have a group that we ask them to take assessments to look at the management team and what their strengths and weaknesses are. So we're trying to do everything we can to build a stronger uh, company, um, and that's part of the the proof of concept and de-risking, and then seeding it and seeding the companies with very clear milestones. You have to go and look at your regulatory pathway. You've got to get that started sooner rather than later. You've got to uh, quickly move from a provisional patent to a uh, to a full patent, so that you know that there's an office action um, by the PTO, so that you know you know that. The, you know, have freedom to operate. So that what you're saying, does that mean that, uh, you know, let's say you do a million-dollar deal, but you tranche that out into smaller slices depending on those milestones that are set forth? Exactly. Okay. Right. You c we watch it along the way, and that's all the de-risking that we've taken out. So if you've got a, a front-end process, whether a BioXL does it or a tall wave or the universities do it or whoever you want to do it, if they've gone through that and you've done that diligence and you've looked at the market and you've looked at, you know, that they really do have a freedom to operate and they've got a strong IP position and their regulatory pathway is actually, you know, doable, um, you've taken out a lot of the risk at that point in time. And, you've, you've, you know, you have a, probably a, a nice investable company. So what we would like to say is our path is to just show you know, this continuum of we're doing it all, then our fund gets the benefit of all of that information and all of that investment we've already done. But if we started a second fund, what you'd want to do if you opened it to beyond our portfolio, which we would want to do, is you just want to make sure that all of those boxes that we're ticking off now, we're still ticking off. Um, you know, we don't have to be the one to make sure there's a good regulatory pathway. If it's done and they have evidence of that, you, you just make sure you have the evidence of it. 
And so, um, you know, I, I think that's what we would want to do. And in fact, um, we just applied for a grant from the Economic Development Agency on Monday. <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. But it's uh, called their Cluster Seed Program. And it's basically to try to help create um, an ecosystem to get more funds, early stage funding happening in the local economy. So we um, submitted um, an application to try to help finish out our fund and to help to do the downstream management of that fund that it's going to take, help Romy do his fund, and then we collaborated with a group in California that if we're successful, the Bioaccelerator Fund 2 would launch out of California and we would have it actually then be the Southwest and it could benefit our companies in um, Arizona and in LA County and Southern California. So we actually are thinking of how do we scale and how do we have another fund that can open the doors for more than just our little portfolio of companies. Wow. How big is the uh, EDA fund? Well, this is small. They will, the Economic Development Agency will not allow any government money to go into a fund. Um, and that's the challenge, is they know that one of the rate-limiting factors for startup companies and entrepreneurs is that they can't get access to funding, but the government can't invest and fund in that. So what they did is they said, but we can give you money to help you, you know, build put a PPM together, like a a private placement memorandum that you would need to create for a fund. I mean, they're fifteen to $25,000 to get that done. So if you, Hillary, wanted to do that tomorrow, the first thing you'd have to say is, where am I going to get $15,000 or $25,000 to get the documentation, the legal documentation? Then if you're raising funds in other states, you have to file in those other states, and there's, you know, costs of doing that. And then you have to have an operating manager. And if it's I a see. big fund, you have to be licensed, and that person has to go through training and be licensed. And so there's these costs. So, you you know, it's a great idea, but then you have to have investment around that. So this fund um, allows some of the, the dollars that might help us be able to create that. Um, it gives us, um, it would give us money to help identify investors. You know, where are they? How do we, mm. how do right. we create an investor forum and drag them out of their, you know, their living rooms and get them to listen to what we're doing and, and potentially get some interest? And so what does that take to try to recruit these uh, new investors? I know personally that you're extremely well connected among our community here and probably even outside of that. And so I, I'm sure that goes a long way, but uh, probably not as far as you'd like it to. So, um, yeah, what kind of messaging or, or outreach is, uh, you know, has worked most effectively so far in trying to drum up new sources of capital for the fund itself? I think at this stage for us, it's really those personal connections and who knows who. And so um, I started out with me just kind of going out and harassing everybody I know and still doing so. Um, But um, now I'm thinking of the model of trying to get um, a select group of individuals that I know invest, that are willing to invest, and have them invite friends and then talk about it so that we start to build this network of an educated group, whether they get in our fund or they don't or they just invest in the companies. Because in the end, from my perspective, I mean, I'd love to get our fund up and running. That would be wonderful. But more importantly for Arizona, um, I'd like to get more people educated and realizing how many good things are going on so that, 
you know, you have a list, you could call up so-and-so and say, hey, would you look at this good company? Or that they'll call their friends and say, would you look at this good company? And so um, in L.A., um, they were actually looking at um, hiring this company out of um, uh, Chapel Hill uh, that would do an assessment of their investment ecosystem. And basically it goes through and it identifies who are those um, qualified investors that um, are known for further investing, not just one time, that you know have more than three equity deals on their plate right now, and who are they connected with, and they actually map everything out. So L.A. County is actually looking at, you know, getting that information, and then if you have that map and you know their names and their phone numbers, then you just <laughs> pick up the pick phone up and the you phone, start yeah. going. Or you have somebody who knows them pick up the phone and, and start calling. So it really is a word-of-mouth process. I think initially it is, and then, you know, especially if the fund has no success, or hasn't had any success, I should say. Right, no track record. No track yeah. record, right. <laughs> I mean, if you have no track record, you know, that's the big thing. You know, you know, you're starting a new fund and you've got no track record, then they look at you and say, uh, I don't think so. I <laughs> like being a first-time founder, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's uh, a good thing in that the, the fund managers yourself, among others, uh, you can commiserate with those first-time founders and then understanding how hard it is to get that first that first yes or that first sale, perhaps. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. We've been there, done that on many fronts, you know. Um, with starting companies and trying to raise money for them and, you know, now starting a fund and knowing what that feels like. So I'm really good at hearing the word no. The good news is I hate that word, so I don't accept it very well, but (laughs) I certainly hear it quite a bit. Um, So, Marianne, just for my uh, education, I've heard from, um, you know, a few startups that, they, you know, look at the Tallway Fund or they look at other funds and they say, oh, the terms that they have on that are just awful. Like, I, I would never, you know, do that with my company, you know. And, and I, but I don't know the specifics around mm-hmm. it, but I hear that a lot with VC funds. You know, the contractual terms or the equity that they take in the companies. And how does it really work? And can you, I'm sure you hear it too, but can you demystify or debunk some of that? my thoughts on this with you because I've been on both sides of it um, you know so um, trying to help the companies raise money and now having a fund yeah. that we're going to be on the other side of it um, if you don't have any money and you need money you don't have much leverage okay right so that's a, a, a tough thing for a startup company I mean you go to somebody and say I want you to give me money and it's high risk and you know you pay a price for that, right? I mean, and and that's wh- why, again, BioXL is we're trying to position those companies so that when they go into that negotiation, they're not quite in that that space of having nothing to offer. The other thing that a lot of um, we see startup companies do is they get their money, and then they spend it all, and then they start to raise more capital. Well, every time you, you raise capital, you know, you have to go through a diligence process. And this is where you have to do this, but this is where I think it's kind of a little unfair for the startup companies. You have to open your books, and you have to tell them everything you have. Well, they know exactly how much money you have or you don't have, and they can just wait it out. You know, so if you've yeah. waited to the end to get money, and now you've got to wait for them, you know, I mean, you've, you're, yeah. you're in a position oh, wow. of saying you've got to take what you could get. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think a lot of people think about that. I have not thought about that. <laughs> 
that I have not thought about it from that perspective till just now, and it's a bit daunting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. It, so it's uh, <clears throat> so the the thing that we try to do is to you know uh, on the bioexcel side is to say apply for those SBIRs, apply for the Arizona Commerce Authority funds, get these other funds in that are non dilutive that put value in your company so that. Um, even if you don't have money, you've got your IP issued. You've got your regulatory strategy, and they can't take that away from you. They, you can say, I don't have any money, and I have to stop working, but this company's valued at this, and we've got some value here that you can't, you know, if you want to do this, then you, at least you have ne- negotiating room. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but don't put yourself in a totally, you know, position where, you know, you've got a provisional patent filed, which is worth nothing, you know, you haven't talked to the FDA, so you've got no regulatory strategy. You've got no money. I mean, you've got all these negatives, and you've got maybe a great idea that might be the next Google or, or the next uh, big medical device. But so it's really they have to have good mentors to help them think that through. Um, and, and you want to have a couple gentle investors like BioXL that, um, you know, will look at their books and know, expect you know, when we invest in them, we, we don't expect them to have a whole lot because they're early stage. Right. All that makes sense qualitatively. Um, but I'd love to get a bit more insight in terms of, um, yeah, what kind of deal terms you're, are typical for the space or that you're um, trying to go for that you'd like to see. You know, you want to see, you know, three or four times X at, at a minimum, your investors want to see that. You know, so uh, upon um, exit, meaning uh, that uh, you know the company gets acquired or there's some sort of public offering. Well, they want to see that's what they get in their pocketbook. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you know, then you have to look at what percent you are of your fund and how much you're going to get, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you know, you have to you know kind of crunch through the numbers and mm-hmm. where you fall in that. Um, so you know, you you know that's what you're going to strive for is the you know you'd like to have the 10 times x if you could do it but you know um well let me ask you this then to maybe a, a little more relevant for listeners in that um when you're looking at a company as a potential investment and maybe do some hypotheticals of uh thinking in the future about looking outside of your current portfolio and looking at brand new companies um is the model going to be more about investing in a minority position or majority? So, I mean, that that's a really good question, Mark, um, because our funds right now, we would be minority for sure, um, you know, because it's just not big enough to be the majority. So um, when BioXL invests, not the fund, but BioXL, we do convertible notes. So we don't even set those terms. We don't try to value the company because of what I just said. They don't have anything. You know, we, we've done our diligence, and we think that they will, but we don't try to value the company at that juncture. So it's a convertible note. Whatever terms the lead on a Series A has, that's what we end up with. Um, and um, I don't think BioXL will ever kind of change from that. Um, our investment fund is um, following on early on that, and we're – you know, we're only looking to put maybe a hundred thousand because it's a small fund. You know, one hundred fifty. It's not going to be big, so we're we're not going to be the lead on anything. And the thing that we we are wrestling with is, in fact, just had a discussion today. Um, you know, how how early do we want to come in? Because you know that's where where we're going to get the biggest bang for our buck if we can get in early when our hundred thousand, you know, is worth a lot more because you're going to get a lot more 
you know, shares for your hundred thousand than if you come in a little bit later, less risk. But that's you know, um, that's something that we're kind of working our way through with this new fund, and and hopefully the lessons learned and what we figured out will drive what we do for the investment thesis for you know bioaccelerator fund too. But um, I really think that we want to be in early. I mean, I want to be able to say that, you know, if you do this right and you help these companies, you know, move forward their technology quickly with milestones and the right type of investment and the right type of infrastructure around them, they're not as risky as you think they are. And you put your money in early, they'll get to success faster and you're going to see a return and you're going to get a bigger bang for your buck. And I really, truly believe that's what needs to be done. Right. So you want to get in early and you want to syndicate to it, sounds like. So mm-hmm. this is as much about creating a spark to draw in multiple groups of funds into a single company rather than um, having to go it alone. Right. I mean, and I, when I talk to universities, when I talk to like Tallwave or uh, Romy, we've been talking about it. But um, so BioXL typically does medical devices, but we're moving into some digital health. Um, our Solutions Challenge had some digital health in it this year. Our Council of Advisors thinks that's an area we ought to pay more attention to. Well, as soon as we decided that, you know, then I I go to Tallwave and say they were on the scorpion pit, you know, for our, our event, you know, because we overlap. And we know that if we find a great company, it's not just going to be us. We need Tall wave. We need others. You know, we'll need Romy's new fund, you know, because our companies, if we really want them in Arizona to move forward quickly, we want to put that early money in fast and get them, you know, moving quickly. And so um, in the early stages, I think the more we have going on here and we work together and syndicate, the better off we are. And then, you know, throw in the angels, you know, as well, um, you know, that. You'll have your successes, and then all of a sudden, everybody will want to participate in some way or the other, either investing themselves or as angels or in funds that hopefully we can create here in Arizona. And that is something to be said about, you know, grant funding, like you mentioned earlier, the non-diluted. I've seen personally companies that as soon as they get the Arizona Innovation Challenge, all of a sudden they get their, you know, their next round of funding from their investor kind of validates that for them. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you can get non-dilutive dollars in early and um, you have a clear pathway to advance your product, um, it's – if you're an investor or as we're an investor, we're looking at when do they start, how long did it take them to get their – you know, move their technology along, you know, what were the obstacles in the way, you know, what are they thinking about, you know. So if you see somebody that's come in and moved things along really nicely, has a plan – has got a pathway, they're moving along on it, you're thinking, okay, they know what they're doing, they're paying attention, they've got a good advisory board, a good board. A lot of startup companies don't want to have boards because they don't want to be told what to do because they know what to do. Uh, you know, those are, the, those are the signals you look like look for mm-hmm. because, um, you know, it, all of us are new. I mean, I, I mean I, this is my first fund, you know, uh, so I'm learning as I go, and I certainly love to have people around me that tell me, Marianne, that's a big mistake, you know, you, you haven't thought about this. And, you know, all of us, you know, have to be in an environment that we're all trying to get things going, but learning and our, our companies are the same thing. Who are some of those people from around our community here that are in your ear and trying to give you that advice as you move forward on this? Well, I mean, I we've got Michael Hool, who's um, – his group, uh, his law group has been 
um, helping us with our PPM, but he's also was an advisor to BioXL um, and on our board, and he's been with all the angel groups, and so helping us look at, at that uh, is really important. Um, you know, Todd Davis from LifeLock has been um, a, an advisor to me in terms of, you know, he's been an entrepreneur trying to raise capital outside the state, so, you know, he, his thoughtfulness, and he's been one of our scorpions, and you know, Alex Brigham, Air Crown, you know, those are people we tried to bring in on our scorpion pit to, you know, look at some of this early stage stuff and, you know, pull them in a little bit earlier than maybe they might have naturally done so. Um, and, you know, to give us advice as we go along. Um, so I'd say, you know, we used our board quite a bit on the first fund to say, should we do this? How should we structure it? Um, Enrico Picosa is chair of our Council of Advisors. He's a partner with HLM Partners, uh, Venture Partners in Boston. Um, so he's um, he and I had a long dialogue on him telling me we should do a you know a fifteen, ten, or twenty million dollar fund, and I was like, no, two. And he's like, no, 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 hmm. you can make it bigger. And you know, and you know, I was arguing that well, one is I don't have a big enough portfolio, and two. I can't get anybody in Arizona to give money anyway. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to set now. myself up for total <clears throat> yeah. failure. Right. Um, you know, um, so you know, sometimes you you listen, and you know, he finally understood what I was saying, and he's on our investment committee now, and so he really helps us, you know, in terms of looking at the companies and our strategies. So you just try to listen to them, get them involved, and keep them involved. Um, yeah, as far as the. I definitely, I, I think I have a greater appreciation now than even before we started talking about, um, you know, the, the logic behind keeping this first fund pretty small in that, especially if you're um, going to be limiting it primarily, well, exclusively, it sounds like, to mm-hmm. your current pipeline of bioxyl companies, of which there are a decent number, but it's not a huge amount. So, um, yeah, so save the bigger dollars for the next fund when that track record has been established. Exactly. and. And and hopefully it'll be a very positive track record, especially because um, in some ways you've already you're kind of stacking the deck in your favor, which is great in that you already know all of the portfolio companies so well because you've been working with them the past number of years. Right. I mean, that was the whole idea of, again, trying to build the ecosystem of saying, you know, if you're educated and you can see, you know, what those companies have gone through and why we were comfortable and confident that they've got a good future, that would get folks to want to engage. And um, and if it's small enough, you do see the wins, and then you can, you know, before I'm ready for retirement, we could start another fund, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I you know, I don't know. I it, This is hard. I mean, we got the fund going in some respects out of desperation because nothing else was happening in Arizona, you know, and um, I've been here 10 years now and everybody keeps talking about we need to have a venture fund, we need to have a venture fund. And, you know, for, you know, the the roadmap has had, you know, that as a top priority is we need more venture capital in Arizona. The bioscience roadmap. Yeah, the biosciences, yeah. I mean, so everybody's talking about it, but yet nothing has happened. Um, and not because people haven't tried, but, you know, you, you're just like, what is it that we need to do to get folks to um, to get on board with this? Um, and so, you know, I, I guess my mentality is, well, if nobody else will do it, then I guess let's just try it. Make it happen. You know? yeah. So that's what we did. And, you know, whether we'll be successful or not, I don't know. I think we will. I, I mean, I'm, I love the companies that 
are in our portfolio. I mean, I, I think they're going to be um, slam dunks, and I think we're going to have a couple of really successful ones, and I think we're going to have some people in Arizona saying, why didn't we invest in those early and keep them in Arizona because there's a good chance they'll go somewhere else because somebody else is going to be the big-time investors. And that's a tragedy. Well, uh, on that on that uh, fiery note, let's take a, a quick break, Marianne. And when we return, we will go ahead and wrap up the show with our executive insight round. Great. Today's episode is sponsored by the city of Peoria. More people and businesses are making Peoria, Arizona their home. Not only is Peoria known for its quality of life, but its smart businesses with innovative ideas. The strategy is simple. Increase the number of employers and opportunities by implementing programs that help businesses grow. Visit PeoriaAZ.gov to learn how you can join the many smart businesses that have already made the move to Peoria. And we're back from our sponsor break. We're here with Marianne from BioXL has uh, provided us with a lot of uh, very interesting, insightful information about raising a venture fund in Arizona. And so we're going to switch gears ever so slightly and jump into our ever-popular executive insight round. So this is just, Marianne, opportunity to uh, pick your brain a little bit and ask some questions and just looking for a a quick response, whatever comes to mind. Challenge there. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to start off with uh, with this question. So um, you're super busy, of course. You're uh, with BioXL creating this venture fund, any number of other things. Um, but I imagine that you know you do at least take some time for vacation. So I'm, I'm curious, what's your favorite vacation destination? Okay, so uh, the last two years, my husband and I have done road trips. Um, and so I guess I could say my favorite destination at this point is a car and on the road. Uh, we went across country to uh, southeastern United States, uh, hit 22 states wow. over five weeks last year. It was the first time I ever took off more than two weeks. And this year, we went up through Utah and did all of the national parks in Utah. Amazing. And, you know... The United States is a remarkable country. I, I just, every place we went, uh, the cities, the, uh, the people, it's amazing. So I, I think everybody should get on the road and go see the United States. Cool. Yeah, I wish I could do that. I, as you know, I drive an electric car, so I wouldn't, oh. I wouldn't have the range. For <laughs> you it. sound like one of my staff, David. Yeah. I know. Well, we we drove a little Mercedes convertible, right? Mm-hmm. And my husband wanted to do off roading. This is the one we oh did the gosh. first time. So we go through San, uh, uh, San um, New Mexico, and he's taking these roads that aren't even on the map, and yeah. and you know the Google's going. Turn around, turn around, <laughs> stop, stop. And the car, if you see a picture of this poor little car after we went through one of these back roads, I'll tell you. Um, so uh, this year I made him take an SUV. <laughs> a sensible move, I think. Yes, it was. Well, this uh, makes an interesting segue question that I prepared here. Um, I assumed you'd pick some far-off exotic location. And so because of that, um, I wanted to ask you, what's your least favorite part about flying? It's always a hassle flying around, commuting like that. So uh, uh, there's lots of 
lots of gripes people have. What's uh, what gets on your nerves flying around commercially? Um, getting on the plane. I mean, TSA just doing that. I love flying. I it's my favorite thing actually. Okay. I love to get on a plane have nobody around me. I get work done. I get quiet. I read books. Yeah. So, I mean, when somebody tells me I have to fly, you know, more than five hours, I'm like a happy look camper. Look forward to yeah. it. Yeah. You just but don't it, look forward to the process of, the getting, process of getting, getting on, on. But to once it, I'm understood. on that plane, you know, I don't even care if I'm in the middle seat. You know, it's just leave me alone and let me uh, read great. my books and do whatever. When you walk into a bar, what drink do you typically order? Oh, that's easy. Scotch on the rocks. Oh, uh, wow. Single malt. Single malt, Glen okay. Levitt, typically. Fancy, classic. Yeah. Good job. I <laughs> yeah. uh, love my scotch. Uh, my father raised me on scotch, so we're our whole family scotch drinkers. Not too young, I hope. It, it wouldn't show either way. You're, it, you're right. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I, I'm 80 years old. And I've been preserving yeah. scotch. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start drinking scotch. What's <laughs> a mindless indulgence when you want to turn your brain off for a while and stop thinking about raising venture funds and all the headaches that come along with it? Uh, that's a really good question because it, that's really hard to turn off the brain. Um, you know, I run a lot, um, but sometimes that running actually gets the brain going because you, you have that time to think. Um, I, I probably would say it's reading really crappy books that are mindless, that I know what the ending's going to be, you know, murder mysteries and, okay. right. you know, you know, romantic novels, you and you know that who's going to, what's going to happen exactly, you know, stupid things like that that are just really thought, you know, you don't have to think about it and, you know, they make you happy in the end. And sure, right. Every, you know, Crowd pleasers. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that there's, uh, you know, the uh, white picket fence and, you know, um, the princess. Right. Reading on the plane, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, and then last question for for you, Marianne. So um, when you first got started down this path with BioXL, um, I'm sure there's lots of mistakes that were made or ways or things that you wish you had done better. So what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself on that first day of, of uh, wanting to found uh, that organization that uh, you wish you could give yourself going back in time? Oh. So we always talk about business plans, um, and um, we had a business plan, um, not as detailed enough as I think I would do in now, uh, where we really would have laid out exactly what we wanted to do, the timelines we wanted to do it, and what were the right kind of staff around getting that done. Um, so we took a team that w was already working together um, uh, but it wasn't with the thought of how, how does that team work to, to do the goals of the business plan. And so just like a startup company, you have to really kind of look at, you know, what's your goals, what are the skill sets. So if I had to go back and do it again, I'd, I'd go back to that plan, um, write a, a more detailed business plan, um, and really look at, you know, what's the timeline for getting this done, what are the milestones, um, who's going to do what. And the other thing I would do is much better marketing. Um, we got out of the gates, we were so busy, and um, we didn't have time to build a community that we needed around BioXL. And I think if I had to do it again, that's something that I would start out in a much different way in terms of how do we get that community support. Because what we do is really important. Um, and I think recently, I mean, we've had a lot of great community support that's coming in, but it's taken a long time to get there. 
And, um, you know, maybe it's just you have to have success. I mean, we, we weren't affiliated with the university. We weren't affiliated with any hospital or anything, so we were all on our own. Um, you know, I guess maybe if I went back, maybe we wanted that independence to be able to, you know, not be biased in any way. But there's a price we paid for that independence. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, collaboration in its truest and purest form is really important. That's, that's great advice, yeah. Well, whatever deficiencies there might have been in those early days, I think you've more than made up for them now because there really is a lot of a lot of positive buzz about the work that you and the rest of your team's doing in the community just through BioXL bio itself. But I think with the formation of this new fund and hopefully future funds after that, um, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a big impact around here. And I have to just, I can't get off this without talking about the city of Peoria. Um, you know, you mentioned that when you introduced me, mm-hmm. but their um, vision for the incubator that we have there, the medical device incubator, they're um, looking outside the box, thinking outside the box, um, taking some risks, looking at how do we create a different model. They really have to be applauded for what what they're doing, what they're trying to do. Um, and, you know, first time out of the gates, you know, some things work, some things don't. And uh, I've been so impressed with the mayor, uh, both mayors, Mayor Barrett, Mayor Carlotte, um, and Scott White is amazing as the economic development director. Um, but their whole team, I mean, I, I could just run through the names. Every one of them have been just truly amazing. And um, I know all the cities have great economic development departments, but I just really have to give kudos to the city of Peoria for what they've done. Yeah, let's jump into uh, plugs. So we've already uh, talked about City of Peoria, and um, so this is just your opportunity now. Um, what else would you like our audience listening here to know about? Like, where can uh, people go to learn more about the fund or or BioXL? What um, what what messaging uh, would you like our audience to leave with today? Well, we're launching a new website, um, and so we're if you go into the website and you can't find something, it's because we're in the middle of changing it up. But the website, we really try to have everything about, you know, what BioXL does, the BioAccelerator Fund. Um, we have a, a for-profit company called BioVenture Services that if you're not one of our portfolio companies but you need some help, come to us, like to help write at SBIR. Um, and, and the good news is if you're in, if we touch you in any way as part of BVS or um, Anyway, we consider you part of our portfolio, which then, um, you know, we help you and then we vet you and then you could be eligible for the fund. So it's kind of good to get connected with us because we, we try to define our portfolio as a little bit, little bit larger than just the, the companies that we fund. Um, the, um, I really have to give kudos to um, ABOR, too. Um, our, um, the Board of Regents. The board of, yeah. yeah, Arizona Board of Regents, um, where uh, they worked with us last year, and they're um, working with us this year and getting some good ideas. Um, Flynn is always amazing in the biosciences and what they're trying yeah, to do. The Flynn Foundation. Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah, and so, you know, these are the kinds of organizations that really um, we need to keep engaged and we need to um, get more of the business community. Um, actually, uh, the Greater Phoenix Chamber of Commerce has started some pretty important initiatives in terms of looking at healthcare and looking at biotech, and um, they're going to get really engaged in those first um, early steps of um, how do we improve tech transfer um, into new companies, how do we seed those companies, and then how do we provide the right, right kind of mentorship around those companies, which I think is just amazing to finally have all of these things coming together. I mean, I'm actually really excited when I, I go out every day and I all of a sudden, you know, feel like, all you know, the old Flintstones, you know, when they <laughs> 
they show it, and there's no lights on in Bedrock, and it's the morning, and yeah. all of a sudden the lights are coming off in Bedrock. I really feel like the lights are, are all turning on, and, and there's a lot of uh, energy and excitement that's going on here. So, yeah, I'm on board. So, uh, so what, where was the website where people can, uh, you know, uh, visit and get all this information? Bioxcel.org. Bioxcel.org. You know, easy to find. Yeah. Right. But yes. Yeah. So don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and most importantly, be sure to subscribe to uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, or your podcast platform of choice. Great. Well, until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.